following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, I want to say a special word of thanks to the Artisan Leadership Team. Um, last Monday, I had um, an unplanned surgery on my finger. I broke my finger and had to have um, a surgical correction made to it. And um, without going into too much loopy detail, I will just say I vastly underestimated how difficult the recovery from that procedure would be, including the um, painkillers that they put me on. (laughs) Uh, And I got to be about Wednesday, and I thought, I'm in trouble. I've done nothing. I've been laying on the couch, like in a quasi-coma for three days. Um, And some of you know I play in this Irish band, and as I was just coming out of this haze, I'm thinking, oh, I have to play gigs all weekend because it's St. Patrick's Day weekend. It's a bad time. March is a bad month for an Irish musician to break a finger, but... um, (laughs) I knew that was coming up, and I knew the services were coming up, or service was coming up here, and I sent an email to the leadership team, and I said, you guys just have to do this. I have nothing. I can't give you anything this weekend. I totally plan to be able to, and I can't. And uh, I think I sent maybe two or three emails throughout the rest of the week, but they did, they handled the whole service. They lined up the whole thing. Um, that if you were here last week, we had different people sharing, and um, that they were recruited by leadership team members. We had different people involved in doing readings and all kinds of stuff in the service that um, you know, probably was a, a better and more interesting service than it would have been uh, if everything had gone according to the original plan. But I'm so, so grateful to the leadership team for, um, for doing that. Uh, if you guys don't know our leadership team, you should. Can you, I don't know this is so tacky, but would, if you're a member of our leadership team, would you stand right now? I want the congregation to see you, and I, wanna, I want us to thank you for, for the great work that you did um, with that last week. Thank you. There's a couple who aren't here today, so, um, but I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, and I hope that you had a, a wonderful experience last Sunday while I was on the couch. <laughs> Um. <laughs> well, we're in the season of Lent, as I've mentioned a few times this morning. And uh, if you're new to faith or have grown up in a church that wasn't uh, particularly liturgical or oriented toward the church calendar, you may not know what Lent is. Uh, I imagine that most of you in the room do, but let me give you just a brief explanation of what this season is about, because if, if you don't know, then some of this won't make sense to you. But uh, the first thing you have to understand is everything in Christianity revolves around and points to and emerges from the greatest miracle of all time, which is the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so that's what we will celebrate on Easter. This year, Easter is April 20th. Uh, and, and everything that we believe as Christians is really centered on that, that moment that we celebrate on Easter. And so it's fitting that we spend several weeks preparing to get to that point in the church calendar. And that's what the season of Lent is. It's a season of preparation uh, for Easter. So in our fasting, which we, we do in various forms during the season of Lent, we try to enter into some small part of Christ's suffering on our behalf. And in our attempts to go deeper with the spiritual disciplines, we open our minds and our ears and our hearts and our eyes to to know God's work 
among us and in us and, and through us. And in the act of repentance, which is another central tenet of Lent, we consciously reject our own sin and wrongdoing, our complicity in the suffering and brokenness of the world around us. So our, our subtitle this year for Lent has, has really driven us to that last facet of repentance. The problem lies with me. Now, you know, on a grand uh, cosmic scale, we know that, that sin and brokenness and the fall of the world is all around us, and it's not like everything that's ever gone wrong in the world is our fault. <laughs> um, that would be the opposite folly. But we have been trying really hard during the season of Lent to recognize and acknowledge and address and repent of those things that are our fault, those times when the problem does lie with us, with you, and with me. So today what I'd like to do is a little bit of a guided reading and meditation on two of the lectionary texts. So during the season of Lent, as in other times of the year, we use the Revised Common Lectionary to determine which scriptures we will engage with. And it just uh, assigns four texts to each Sunday of the, of the year, and on a three-year cycle, you, you get exposed to most of the Bible if you follow the lectionary. We don't follow it all the time, but at high seasons on the church calendar, we tend to do so. And so there's two of the readings. We did one of them at the, the psalm at the call to worship and the uh, confession. The, the New Testament reading this week is from Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to completely ignore it, and um, I apologize if, you, uh, if that hurts your feelings. But I really want to focus on the two other texts today. One is from the book of Exodus, one is from the book of John, and these stories interact with one another in a really wonderful way. So what I'd like to do first is um, give a general reading of these two texts, because what I'm going to ask you to do after is a more targeted, specific meditative reading um, that we'll do together, and uh, it, that won't really work very well unless you kind of have in the back of your mind what happens in these stories, okay? So the first one is from Exodus 17. If you like to follow along, you can grab a red Bible. They're in the seat pockets, and they're under the chairs and the wings. If you brought your own Bible, you can find it in your own Bible. On the red, in the red Bibles, it's page 56. Um, it's certainly okay to just listen, and as a matter of fact, even if you're a visual person, I'm going to ask you only to listen when we do the next reading, but for now, either way is fine. This is, a, this is the story that's actually the background to the psalm that we read. Remember, the, um, there are uh, people whose hearts have gone astray. It's referring to this story, um, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. From the wilderness of sin... Now, that's a geographic demarcation. That's not sinfulness. It's a, it's a place, right? Happens to have that same word, um, but don't get too distracted by it. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? Remember, they were in slavery in Egypt, so this is kind of an amusing complaint to make. So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you, Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. 
I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So that little bit at the end, by the way, whenever you hear a name given and it says because the people did this or that, usually that's an indication, as it is in this case, that those words are the, the original language's equivalent for whatever it was happening. So Massa and Meribah in this case correlate to um, quarreling and testing. So there's that story. Uh, it may be familiar to some of you, maybe some of you are hearing it for the first time. I'm going to move now to the second story, which is in the book of John, John chapter 4. And typically, during these high holy seasons, when we're doing lectionary readings, I will ask you to stand for the reading of the gospel, but this time I'm not going to do that. Sorry, (laughs) I fool you. (laughs) Because I want you to begin to transition from a posture of of just hearing and thinking to a posture of meditation. I almost said medication. Um, (laughs) Hydrocodone in my case. Um, um, That was distracting. Transition to a a moment of meditation. And the the way I want you to do this at first is to think about, as I read this story, the ways in which this narrative, this story, connects to the one that we just read from the book of Exodus. Okay? Many, 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 many years later, totally different context and everything, but interesting. Uh, The lectionary actually assigns the uh, first 45 verses of John chapter 4. I'm just going to read 28 of them today. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making disciples more than John, um, actually, let me skip to verse 5. You don't need to know the the details there. Um, Verse 5 is where this passage actually begins. Apologies. So he came to the Samaritan city called Sichar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And John editorializes, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where the people must worship 
is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. So, maybe you've begun to think how those two uh, passages relate a little bit. What I want to do in the time that we have is read both of these passages again both of these stories again, and I want to ask you to read it in a particular way. I'll read it aloud. You can listen. But I want to do a variation on what's called an Ignatian reading. And what this means is that uh, as you're hearing the story, you are going to uh, sort of try to inhabit it yourself. You're going to try to enter into the narrative. You're going to do that in a sensory way, so you can imagine what things might look like and sound like and smell like and taste like and feel like? If you were actually there, what would your sensory experience be? You can do it in a relational way. Think about the other people in the story and how you might have interacted with them if you were there at that moment. And you can do it in what I might call a perspectival kind of way, which is a fun word to say. Simply, I mean by that, um, imagine yourself from the perspective of one of the characters in the story. If you've never done this before, it's really quite a remarkable way to, to understand the scriptures and to, to allow them to speak to you in a, in a fresh way. So if you've, had, um, if you've been trying to read the Bible more during Lent, as I would encourage you to do, and you find it dry and you're just not getting anywhere with it, you might try this at home. Enter into the story in a sensory way, in a relational way, in a perspectival way. So let's go back to Exodus 17. And uh, again, you don't need to follow along at this point. I'll read it to you. I'm going to read it a little bit um, slowly to let it sort of inhabit you. And what I want you to do as you engage your imagination is think like this. You're no longer a Rochesterian. You are an Israelite. You're one of the, one of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Um, you've been freed from Egypt This great exodus miracle. But you know how things go. Um, Your hearts have gone astray. And you're thirsty, so feel the thirst. And you're angry, so feel the anger. And and you hear Moses' voice and his frustration, and you feel maybe some shame at your lack of trust in the God who redeemed you from from slavery. And And then you see the water from the rock, right? Feel the amazement, the joy. So you are an Israelite, as I read this story, You are an Israelite, and and let's see how it connects with you in this case. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Were you able to inhabit that narrative, live in it a little bit from the perspective of one of the Israelites? Did you see and hear and taste and smell and touch things that you hadn't before when you just read that story informationally? I'm going to ask you to do the same kind of thing with the passage from John 4. And this time I want you to imagine yourself as the woman, the Samaritan woman. So Samaritans are are religious outsiders, they're spiritual outcasts. You can feel her curiosity and own her questions and imagine her reaction to each turn of the conversation, each answer Jesus gives, which doesn't seem to answer the question but just creates more. Inhabit her place in society, her class. Take on her doubt and her faith as your own. And I'm going to do this in pieces and give you, just I'm going to pause for maybe 15 or 20 seconds in each section here, um, because there's these movements of conversation where they'll say one thing, and she'll ask a question, and he'll answer. And I'm going to pause so that you can imagine as her, how would I respond and react to that answer? And then we'll move on. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sichar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. Were you able, in that case, to come a little closer to the narrative of John 4? I hope that trying to place yourself in in the perspective of the Samaritan woman, you get a little bit closer to Jesus that way. You you maybe understand him in a different way, and maybe you find out that he's actually a little bit more confusing than you thought. (laughs) You don't understand him maybe as well as you thought you did. As we wrap up here, what I want to do is ask you to continue in this same kind of mindset and attitude, this meditative place, specifically thinking about our series subtitle, The Problem Lies With Me. In other words, what I'm asking you to do is think on your own sinfulness. Firstly, how have you been like the Israelites? Have you been ungrateful? untrusting, inconstant? Have you been a complainer in your conversations with God? Think about that story and your place in it in light of, perhaps in the shadow of, your own sin.
And now the same thing for the John story. Keep yourself in that place. Feel the dust on your feet. Hear the sounds of the water being drawn from the well. If you were a stranger talking to Jesus and his disciples came up to see you, why would they be astonished to find you talking to Jesus? Presumably you are not a Samaritan woman. That wouldn't be your particular problem. But what would the scandal be of Jesus, the Messiah, talking to you? when you were trying to sneak water out of the well when you thought nobody else would be there at noon. Perhaps you are most assuredly not in the old boys club religiously. Perhaps you are ignorant, misinformed about the finer points of religious faith. Perhaps your relationships have been such a disappointment to you that you don't even bother feigning any sort of meaningful commitment anymore. Perhaps you are flailing about, wanting desperately to connect, but never feeling like you can make your home among the people who seem to have their act together because you just don't. And then I want you to think one more step out. I want you to think about how all of this, how you're being a wandering Israelite in some sense, and how you're being this broken, confused, misinformed, outcast Samaritan woman in some way of your own, has, has contributed to the fallenness and brokenness that you see in the world around you. The problem lies with you and with me. In what way is that true? I'll give you a hint. If you are thinking on this and and thinking to yourself, I mean, sure, I have my issues, but I'm not like really truly part of the problem in the world. I would just humbly suggest to you that you are not thinking hard enough about your own life. Because all of us um, have contributed to the fallenness and decay and, and brokenness that we see around us. And part of Lent, I think, is a grown-up version of getting rid of that tendency that you had as a kid when you broke something to point it and say, I didn't do it. Right? We all have grown-up versions of that, don't we? Not my fault. Repent. Because it is your fault. Let me close with just the the tiniest bit of uh, happy news. <laughs> this is a uh, quotation from one of the church fathers, Cyril of Alexandria, and it's perfect both for Lent and for springtime. If you can read it off the screen with the, the bright spring light, 
that's great, but otherwise, hopefully you can just take this in as I read it. Jesus calls the quickening gift of the Spirit living water. Remember he used that phrase with the Samaritan woman? Because mere human nature is parched to its very roots, now rendered dry and barren of all virtue by the crimes of the devil. That's where we are now, like in our Lenten journey. That's the place that I hope I've brought, brought you to. Where you feel like your human nature is parched to its roots, rendered dry and barren of all virtue. But as we look toward Easter, this is what I want you to hear. But now human nature runs back to its pristine beauty. And drinking in that which is life-giving, it is made beautiful with a variety of good things. And budding into a virtuous life, it sends out healthy shoots of love toward God. My prayer is that that would be true for us. That our parched roots would drink deep and begin to send out healthy shoots of love toward God. That this would be uh, a springtime not only in our world but, uh, or our hemisphere, but in our own lives and hearts. Uh, let's pray. God, these stories of Scripture are, challenge us and feed us. We thank you for them. As we have tried to inhabit them today, uh, we ask that these memories and senses would linger with us, that the stories of Scripture would have seeped into our bones a little bit so that they stay with us when we leave this place. And we pray that, um, that seeping into the bones of Scripture would begin to change our hearts and draw us closer to you and, and deeper in our knowledge and love of you and of others. Amen. I love the water imagery and metaphors in the Bible. So much water in the Bible. It's no wonder that baptism became the sacrament of, of welcome into the, communi- uh, into the community of, of Christian faith. Um, such a beautiful thing that a simple elemental substance can mean so much, can extend so much meaning and grace to us. The same is true at the communion table, where simple bread and wine um, become for us the body and blood of Christ. They are not just physical, but actually also a spiritual food. Um, That this holy meal that we take part of together every week is a coming around the table with our brothers and sisters. The ones in this room, most immediately, but the ones in all these other churches in Rochester that celebrate communion, whether they do today or once a month or once a quarter, whatever it is, All the Christians throughout time, with probably very few exceptions, have celebrated communion. And this table is a big, giant one that we all get to come around. And these simple little elements of earth are for us such profound spiritual tokens. And so I want to invite you now to come and take communion. If you are a a Christian, if you are a person following Jesus, um, even if you... I guess some people just don't really like that term and it's got too much baggage. That's okay. If you are following Jesus, if you have said to him, I want to go where you go, no matter how drunkenly you may stumble the road behind, um, this table is for you. Uh, We sometimes say, if Jesus were here and offered you a a meal, would you take it? Would you sit down with him? And if so, then this table is for you. Um, So we'll continue in worship and in singing a couple more songs together. Um, But... Come and and receive communion with your spiritual family. Uh, If you're not in that place uh, of commitment to Jesus and you're exploring and seeking and figuring things out, 
it's perfectly fine not to participate in this part of the service. Um, I think most people are very nice about that and won't look at you funny. Um, it's probably a more honest thing not to if that's where you are at. Um, and we, we are so grateful that you're here no matter whether you take communion with us or not. So, the table's open. Let's continue in worship. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.